Hey everyone, it's Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about encountering Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of our Easter weekend. We have a ton going on, from a Good Friday service to an Easter egg hunt to our Easter service and Easter brunch, and I think all of them are going to be awesome. And if you're in our area, I would love to have you be a part of them. You can get all the information you need at wilsonville.church slash Easter. That's wilsonville.church slash Easter. That page doesn't only have information about our Easter weekend. It also has a button to register for our Easter service. If you do that, there's some special benefits like we'll meet you in the parking lot, introduce you to some people, and help you get your kids checked in if you have kids. But for Easter, the first 25 people to register will get an Easter basket at the Easter service. And so I hope you'll take advantage of that. We'd love to be able to bless you. And again, love to be able to see you at our Easter weekend events. Hey, one more time, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I'm really bad at guessing who is going to become a Christian, and maybe you're like me in this, and I've told you this story before. I've told you uh, two stories before about people that I played basketball with in college, or in high school, excuse me, that, uh, that, that became Christians, that to me it was totally and utterly unexpected, and the first one, uh, his name is Grayson, and Grayson is better known as the professor. He's an international basketball star. Uh, he's more famous than most NBA players outside of the United States. If you know him and you're not a basketball fan, it would be from Spider-Man Basketball. If you've ever seen YouTube of Spider-Man Basketball, uh, this, he dressed up as Spider-Man one day and went out and played basketball. And uh, it kind of changed his career but I had heard rumblings of Grayson's story. Grayson and I have stayed in contact, you know, through Facebook, as you will, with high school teammates or whatever. And, and it had been fun to watch Grayson become famous. Uh, but I had heard through the grapevine that he had given his life to Jesus. And, and, and I, I heard this story, and the story ended up being really wrong. But I reached out to him and said, Grayson, I want to I sit with you, and I'd like to record your, your journey to Christianity. Someday I'll post that somewhere. I had the opportunity to do that. And, and his story, <coughs> excuse me, was nothing like uh, the story that I heard, which was funny. You know, I went and asked him to do this because I had heard this magnificent story. But what made it so exciting is that his story was even better than the story that that I had heard through the grapevine from other Christian friends of mine that went to high school with us and, and whatever. Uh, and so let me just, I'll just tell you his story. He uh, kind of was launched into this basketball thing. He went, and you could watch this on YouTube if you want to, he went to this this basketball game that was taking place in Portland, a street ball game, and he kind of signed up and started playing, and they were impressed. And they said, you can come on this bus with us, and, and basically it was like a survivor, uh, like the show Survivor. He would go from city to city to city, and he would play in these games at their professional basketball arena, and then they would let two people continue to be on the bus with him. He's, he's 19 years old. He just left high school. You know, he's, he, his family owns a jewelry store in Kaiser. He's, uh, he, you know, just a normal suburban kid. 
But all of a sudden, he's like thrust into the spotlight. And not only is he thrust into the spotlight, he's really thrust into an environment that is, is pretty harsh. I mean, he's hanging out with guys that are, you know, 30 years old and, and are people that live pretty wild and uh, crazy lifestyles. And so Grayson, uh, he wins this competition. He stays on the bus and he's never left in some ways, uh, but he, he continues to play with them and he, and he just starts partying like crazy with them. And he told me that they were partying every night and then they'd wake up and have a game the next day. They were eating terribly because, you know, they're in different countries and they don't know the food or whatever. You just grab McDonald's all the time. And a, a buddy of his, uh, his name, his street ball name is Escalade, who is uh, more famously probably the brother of Mark Jackson, who used to be the coach of the Golden State Warriors and now is like a broadcaster on TNT or ESPN, one of those. And, and so they go to a party one night. Escalade, by the way, uh, is 400 pounds. Uh, he's incredible to watch on, I mean, to see a 400 pound basketball player with his skill is incredible to watch. Go YouTube him too. But Grayson, him and a bunch of other people, they're partying and Escalade and him say goodbye that night and, uh, and Escalade never wakes up. He dies. And so uh, Grayson is kind of at a point in his basketball life where he's already thinking, is this it? You know, like, we try, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? I'm going to just play basketball, and it's, it's fun, but it's not really fulfilling in any meaningful way. And then his best friend on this tour dies, and, and he's just kind of like thinking, is, is this it? I mean, what's this, what's this matter? What's, what's the deal here? So he goes to Escalade's funeral, and Mark Jackson gives uh, the sermon at this funeral. And, um, and, and he basically says, here's the deal. You, you knew my brother. He lived a hard life or whatever. But he actually became a Christian just a handful of months ago. And, and he says, if, if you, if you want to be where my brother is, he probably didn't call him Escalade, but I don't know the guy's real name. If you want to be where Escalade is uh, when you die, then you need to give your life to Jesus right now. And Grayson said, you know, everybody there, like almost every person just marched down the aisle, said, I'll give my life to Jesus. And I said, hey, how, how sincere do you, do you think that was? And he said, I don't know how sincere it was for anybody, but I can tell you it was sincere for me and it changed my life. I would never have guessed that Grayson hanging out in his streetball life, you know, I mean, I just would have said the chances of him coming from a non-Christian home, uh, I ju it, it just would have been a zero to me. Like, there's no way that he is going to give his life to Jesus. And I, I admit that, not proudly, reluctantly almost, but, but I admit it because I think that this is exactly how we think about Christianity. I think that we tend to believe even if we would never openly express this belief, we tend to believe that if a person kind of looks and acts and thinks like an American Christian, then there's a good chance that they'll at some point become a Christian. In fact, if you're not a Christian, you probably think like, like one of two ways. Either I could see this happening because I look and think and act like, you know, the, the suburban American Christian and, you know, I, I kind of, I'm middle class and all that. Or you think, like, I would never become a Christian because it's, you know, it's all those, those, those people that don't look anything like me. But even as Christians, we think that, like, that person might, that person, 
probably not, you know. And, and, and here's my proposition for this morning. Um, we're going to look at a story, and I think this is what the story says. Jesus can turn even the possessed into the blessed. And, and, and in other words, in less rhymy words, there is no type of person that cannot be impacted and affected by an encounter with Jesus. I mean, I just think about the questions that people have. This is really common. And since I grew up in a Christian home, understood about the grace of God from a really young age, this is, this is a hard question for me to reconcile with my own soul, but it comes up enough. Uh, this is, that it is worth mentioning, it's worth talking about. I think that a lot of non-Christians, a lot of people who haven't given their lives to Jesus are not that way because they don't believe the story of Jesus as recorded in Scripture. They don't even think that Jesus is, they don't think Jesus is bad or that Jesus is wrong. They don't hate Christians. They think, they think this, aren't I too bad to become a Christian? Like, look at all the stuff I've done. And there's no way that, that I could be forgiven for those things. You know, you can just imagine this person with that question growing up in a, in a home wh- where the parents are, are mean and unforgiving and maybe, maybe it's you and maybe you've grown up in a home where grudges are held for years and people don't let things go and you think you're past it and they'll bring it up the next time they're mad at you and that can transfer to our view of God, right? And we can look at God and say, how could he forgive me? I mean, my own mother can't forgive me. My own dad can't forgive me. My own brother can't forgive me. How could this God that I can't see or talk to in an audible style way, how could, how could he forgive me if, if these people who are messed up themselves, if they can't forgive me? Aren't I too far gone? Haven't I done too much? Haven't I been too bad? And then, and then I know this is true of you. There's something deep inside of you, if you're a Christian, that's like, isn't my son too far away from Christianity to really become a Christian? Isn't, isn't my, my mom or my dad, aren't they, haven't they done too many things? Haven't they separated themselves too much from Jesus to ever embrace this Christian thing? We do it in how we interact with the non-Christian world, right? In America, we have this thing that we've done that is horrible and is hurting the state of Christianity in our country. We've tried to make people look more like Christians before asking them to become Christians. You gay people, if you just get straight, then maybe you can become one of us. Isn't that our attitude? Like, make them look like us, and then maybe they'll become one of us. And I think it stems from this as we'll see, false idea that there is such a thing as too far away from God to be redeemed, to be embraced, to be changed by an encounter with Jesus. And as we begin this series on encountering Jesus, as Brandon mentioned earlier and as showed in the video, I think it's really important that we start with this fundamental idea that there is no person that is too far away, too far gone, too bad, too evil to be impacted by an encounter with Jesus, even you, because Jesus can turn even the possessed into the blessed. And we're going to look at this story today, and, and it's important to set the story in context. And what's just happened is that Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. There's a huge storm. They think they're going to die, and then Jesus calms the storm. It's pretty cool. 
It's pretty awesome. And then at the end of it, they ask this question in the verse just prior to the story we're going to look at. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this is an incredibly important question. I would say it's the defining question for all of our lives when we look at the person of Jesus. If you've never asked that question, it's really important that you ask that question. Like, what kind of man is this? And I'm just, you may come to a different conclusion than I do. I believe that Jesus is the God of the universe in human form, who is King of kings and Lord of lords and who died for my sins. You may come to a different conclusion, but I think it's really important to ask yourself what kind of man is this? To really ask that question. Is he worth following? Is this Jesus thing worth it? All of that. And in many ways, the story we're about to look at is a story that answers that question. What kind of man is this? And here's the reality, the, the, the question that I think it answers, right? I mean, even if we believe that Jesus is a man who can calm the storms, the, the question that we more care about is the question answered in our passage today, the story we'll look at. If Jesus can calm the storms, can he calm the storms in me? Can he calm the storms in me? Have I done too much? Have I created such a bad emotional state? Have I gone too far away from God that Jesus can not only calm the storms, but calm the storms in me? And here is how our story begins. When he arrived at the other side, in the region of the Gadarenes, the two, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. The Gedarenes is a village about five miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee, and, and I'm going to tell you some information about this place just a little bit, and, and I need what, what you need to do with this is you need to put it in your heads until the end of the sermon. I promise it's important. It just won't seem that way for a, a few minutes here. The name refers to the surrounding region as well, and that surrounding region is located in the Decapolis, which is a, a, a Roman, kind of the Eastern Roman uh, border, Roman Empire's border, and it's compromised of about 10 cities. It is compromised of 10 cities. And, and so this is where the story takes place, kind of in the, in the middle of this area called the Decapolis, which is full of Gentiles, non-Jews, and is a place, and, and we'll see this, that Jesus comes back to later. So put that in your heads. It's going to seem unimportant, but we'll come back to it in a minute. And, and here's what happens. Jesus arrives in this region and immediately, two demon-possessed men come to him. How'd you like to show up at the airport and have that happen, right? Like, that's, that's crazy. I think sometimes when there's stories of Jesus, it's really easy for us to, to not think about the craziness. But that's pretty crazy. You step off the boat, and here comes these two demon-possessed men. And, and what Matthew records about these men is nothing short of totally crazy. It's just a... It's, it's, it's scary, it's evil feeling, it's dark, it's, it's nuts to have this happen to you. They are religiously unclean. That's low on their agenda of problems, right? But they are religiously unclean. The Jews would have been like, whoa, don't come near me, don't touch me, because they are ritualistically unclean. They are, they are not 
practicers of the Jewish faith. For one, they are living in tombs. We'll come back to that, as you could have guessed through the prop sitting below me. But they are living in tombs. They're in a region with pigs. It's not good as far as like these people don't look religious. But their other problems are worse. They are living in tombs and they are violent. It's pretty bad. But if you look at the Gospels of Mark and Luke, we learn more about these individuals. Uh, in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, it tells us the same story, but the attention goes to one of these men. And so two men there, but in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, they focus in on one of these men and the story of one of these men, and they tell us these other things about this man. He is often isolated from people. The demons that are inside of him, they pull him out into isolation. He is homeless and has been for a long time. Not only that, he doesn't wear clothes and he hasn't for a long time. He cuts himself with stones. He's a cutter. We know that phrase. That's something that we see uh, that is a problem in our world today still. And then, and then this is so scary. People try to chain his hands and his feet, but he breaks the chains even when they are made of iron. It's all because he's possessed by demons. In Luke's account, Jesus says, what's your name? And, and the man, the demons inside the man anyway, they respond by saying legion, which is a Roman military term for a group of soldiers about 6,000 strong. I don't know if there's literally 6,000 demons possessing this man, but it's a scary idea no matter how many demons are inside of him, right? And so I want you to just consider for a second the state of this man. It's really bad. I don't know what you think about demon possession. Maybe you're skeptical of that idea. I hope not. The Bible talks a lot about it. But but as Christians, what we what we believe is that People can be possessed by demons, like the demon takes over their body and their soul in some ways. As Christians, we we don't believe that you can be possessed by demons. I heard it said once that Christians can be oppressed by demons, but not possessed by demons, and I really think that's accurate. I think it's good. It it rhymes, but it's good. We can be oppressed. Demons can, can try to whisper in our ear. They can try to attack us. This has happened to me. They can try to get us to do wrong things, but they cannot take possession of us. Because the Holy Spirit indwells those of us that are Christians. This other kind of metaphysical, super spiritual idea that's difficult to understand. But as Christians, we believe that when we give our lives to Jesus, God comes inside of us. When you were kids, you heard it described as Jesus lives in your heart. But what we actually know is true is that the Spirit of God comes to indwell us. And in some ways is impacting and moving our souls in a good way. But non-Christians, people who haven't been indwelled by the Spirit, their souls can be affected in a very similar way by dark forces, by Satan and, and the, the group of demons, these supernatural beings that he leads. I know, like, that's crazy, like, especially in, even, in, even in our kind of uh, flavor of Christianity, we don't talk about these things very much, and and so we can get really hung up there, right? And, and this is what we do with the Bible to a fault oftentimes. We make it like the answer to our theological questions instead of asking what is really the point here. And, and I think that the point, the point is that Jesus can turn even the possessed into the blessed. And I want you to think about 
the state of this man. I'm going to read it again, and, and maybe you can think about how this would look in our modern culture. He's unreligious. He's violent. He's isolated. He's homeless. He's naked. He's a cutter, and he's demonstrating a supernaturally dangerous strength, something that we've seen in the drug addicted in our world. There's stories of people taking drugs and doing things that are just seemingly impossible. Now, whether you just look and, and you want to go mental illness or, you know, or drug addiction or demon possession, the, the <laughs> it's pretty clear that this person is in a bad place. And we, I know we would do this, we would look at this person and we would go, they're probably not the ones God wants me to tell about Jesus because they're probably too far gone. You just have to look at, at the homeless guy whispering to himself. I just saw this the other day. Just, just think about the homeless guy that's talking to himself, looking down, clearly seems to have demons in his closet. And you would never tangibly say, that guy will never be a Christian, but somewhere in your gut you think, there's no chance. It's too far gone. It's never going to happen for him. And Jesus shows up and these two men whom we would think are too far gone approach him. I, I did think of it like this as they live in these tombs. They're literally living in tombs, right? And, and what we believe as Christians is that every person apart from Christ is spiritually dead. We believe that, right? That's, that's what the Bible tells us. Like, when, if you're not a Christian, then you are spiritually, you, are, you cannot break free from the chain of your sins. You have no forgiveness for those sins. You are gonna spend eternity paying for those sins. There's no hope for you. Uh, every non-Christian, every person that has not accepted Jesus as their savior is spiritually dead, but some people sure seem to live amongst the tombs. You know what I mean? Like they're, uh, we just, uh, yeah, every, everybody I love that's not a Christian, they, they're spiritually dead. But not every person that I love that's not a Christian seems to live amongst the tombs. Their lifestyles are not demonstrated, they don't demonstrate this just blatant disregard, unreligious evil. But some do. I mean, you can fill in the blanks with what kind of people you think, uh, you know, come to your heads. But, but we have these people, you know, whether they're partying too much, whether they're drug addicted, whether uh, they are sexually promiscuous, promiscuous, whether they are, whether they just bash God, they hate God, they talk badly about Christians. You know the, you know the types of people that we want to look at and say, they're not just dead, they're living amongst the tomb. And this is exactly the type of person that Jesus shows up and meets. And the question, the question is like, yeah, he can calm a storm, right? But can an encounter with him turn the possessed into the blessed? And, and here's what we read in Matthew 8, 29. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Notice they, that's the demons inside of this man. This is a scary moment. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? 
I'll just say that the demons recognize the answer to what type of man is this better than we sometimes do because they recognize two things about him. They recognize his person. He is the son of God. And one of the other gospels, it records this son of the most high. They recognize that this is not just some regular man. This is a divine being in human flesh that they stand before. What do you want with the Son of Man? And then they recognize not only his person, but they recognize his power. They say, are you gonna torture us? It's not like they're like, hey, let's fight him. They understand that as demons, they they have no chance. They will ultimately lose to him. They recognize even in Luke's account that they could be sent to the abyss, which is the eternal place of damnation for demons. And they say, don't send us into the abyss. It's not time. This is not like, hey, maybe we could win. There's a lot of us. You know, I mean, this is like, hey, if we all gang up and we go at him, then, then maybe we can overpower Jesus too. This is them saying, we recognize his person. This is the son of God. And, and out of that, we recognize his power. We will not win this fight. There is no chance. There's no chance. They stand before Jesus and they're scared. And I would just say that, that this morning, just it's really important as we think about encountering Jesus and why it's important. It's important because of who he is and, and the power that he possesses. An encounter with Jesus would be no big deal if he was just some man. But an encounter with Jesus is important because he is the son of God who has the power to even deal with demons. And maybe the rest of this story is familiar with you to you. I don't want you to get caught up in the weird details of what happens next because that's not the point. But listen to this. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Okay, so the details of this leaves us a lot of questions, right? Like, what's up with the pigs? I mean, that's, that's I think anytime I've ever read this story, I haven't even paid attention to anything, but like, this is my question. Is a guy who doesn't kill spiders, right? Like, why'd Jesus do that to the pigs? You know, I mean, wow, he could have not done that. Uh, why did the demons want to go in the pigs? And there's answers to these questions, but let me just say that all of the answers of these questions are, are speculative in nature. They are purely speculation. I mean, we can make some guesses that the demons wanted to go into the pigs because they hate, this is some of the guesses, right? They hate God's creation. They want to do whatever they can to harm uh, the people, people will say, well, they didn't want to be sent to the abyss, and so the pigs seemed like a better option. People will say, like, well, they wanted to discredit the ministry of Jesus, and so they wanted these pigs to die in order that people wouldn't, wouldn't uh, follow Jesus. We don't know. But it's not the point. The point is that an encounter with Jesus takes the demons out of the man, isn't that incredible? I mean, just, I mean, don't think about the poor pigs. They were going to be bacon anyway. Like, I mean, just think about the man. An encounter with Jesus takes the demons out of a man. What kind of man is this? He's not just a man that can calm the storms. He's a man that can calm the storm of demons inside of these, these men. an important detail at the beginning 
that maybe you just skipped right over. But these, men's, these men came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. What if they went enough? It wouldn't be recorded for us, obviously. These men probably would have died in those, living amongst those tombs. They never would have been changed. I mean, option one was that they never encountered Jesus, right? That's a real possibility. There's many people who will never encounter Jesus. And their story would not have been recorded for us. But option two is they do encounter Jesus. And out of that encounter, Jesus sends the demons from them. But the story is not over. We have to pick it up in Luke to get the fuller and I don't know if I can say this about the Bible, but the better version of the story, the version that makes more sense, the version that gives us details. Luke 8, 34 through 37, it says, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Are you paying attention to this? Are you reading it? And they were so happy. They were so excited. It was so awesome. They were so afraid. They were afraid. And then... They all hugged Jesus and had a happy time and they celebrated and had a worship service. No, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. I mean, look, an encounter with Jesus can turn the possessed into the blessed. And I would add one more rhyme. How do we know he was blessed now? Because he was dressed. It says he had clothes on. I mean, the guy got dressed and he's sitting with Jesus and he's hanging out over the top, I know. That's why I kind of slid it in there for you. Jesus takes the demons out of the man. I mean, think about it in our terms. We say this about people. There's so many demons in their closet. Jesus took them all out. So there's not, never going to be too many demons in your closet. There will never be too many demons in their closet for Jesus and an encounter with Jesus to remove those demons. But while the possessed in the story are now the blessed, I'm going to do it one more time, the crowd is super stressed. <laughs> Rhymezone.com, if you're wondering how I do it. I just want to say that not every encounter with Jesus will end up with people loving and living for Jesus. It's just not how it goes. On Easter, that we started advertising this morning, right? That's coming up. We're about five weeks away from Easter. We're gonna, I'm going to preach a sermon on this, that an encounter with Jesus brings great fear, but it can also bring great joy. And I, and I think by God's grace, by his providence, we kind of landed in that same place today because we see one man, two men, I guess, in Matthew that, that feel joy because they've encountered Jesus and it's changed everything for them. And then we see this crowd 
who through the men experienced something very similar. I mean, they, they could testify. They could say, that guy used to be violent. I had to go around that graveyard because I was scared he was going to kill me. You know, I was worried about that man. He was the guy in town that people were worried about, that they talked about, that they didn't want to encounter, that you didn't want to see on the street. I mean, he was possessed. It was clear. And now he's obviously not because he's dressed. And he's sitting there, not violent, no need for shackles, talking to Jesus and in his right mind. That's verifiable. but what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for me? I mean, for them, I mean, this is how this passage is often preached. How many pigs do I have to lose? There's thousands of pigs here. That's a lot of money that they just lost because of somebody's encounter with Jesus. And I think most people are smart enough to know that while an encounter with Jesus can turn the possessed into the blessed, it might, it might if it's you that encounters Jesus, it might cost you something. In fact, it will cost you something. And these people have an encounter with Jesus. I mean, this is cool, right? I mean, look, the guy's happy. The guy's in his right mind. This is a miracle. That's somebody's son. That's somebody's brother. That's somebody's friend. And he's sitting there in his right mind. What a miracle. But what is this encounter with Jesus going to cost me what's it going to cost me I mean there's really there's there's two responses to an encounter with Jesus you can embrace him and experience joy or you can just be afraid of it and and continue on the way that you were before but at least one of these men Luke 8 38 and 39 at least one of them, as I'll read in a second, chose to let this encounter change his life. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, Jesus. Jesus is being kicked out of the town, and this guy's like, I gotta go where you're going. Uh, and I'll tell you, once you've encountered Jesus once, and once you've embraced Jesus because of that encounter, you do want to go where he is. I, I've spent my life since encountering Jesus trying to go where he is, where he wants me to be he begged to go with him. This is a, one of the weirdest, craziest, bad ending lines I've ever heard. But Jesus sent him away <laughs> saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the, so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This guy wants to be one of the 12 disciples or 13 if he comes on board, if he gets on the ship. That's very noble. I mean, like he encounters Jesus, Jesus changes his life. I'm going to be a disciple. And Jesus says, sorry, not my plan for you. I want you to go tell people about your encounter with me and invite them to encounter me too. Kind of a sad ending. A little bit, right? I mean, like, leaves us with this guy headed back to his town. Like, Jesus doesn't want me to get on the boat. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's pretty bad. If, if you, I mean, just put it in kind of our terms. If you're like, Jesus, I want to be a pastor. It's nice. Like, you're cool, right? People are going to think you're so spiritual. And Jesus like, I want you to be an accountant. It's like, 
do you hate me, Jesus? Like, what is it about me? I know offense, accountant people, we need all of you to step up and serve our church. But like, like I mean, what, like, why? Did I do something wrong? Is there something bad about me? I mean, what, what is that? It's kind of a weird ending. But there's this other thing that you need to know. He says, you go home to your own people and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That's Mark 5.18's version. And it seems that the man does. Because, this is so cool, I love this. This is just incredible. It's hard to find, it's hard to see. Jesus goes back to the Decapolis. Remember I mentioned earlier that that was gonna be important. He only goes back one other time. Several chapters later, if you weren't looking for it, then you wouldn't find it. You wouldn't be like, oh, I see the connection here to this story. Uh, but in Matthew 15, 29 through 31, it says, Jesus left there and he went along the Sea of Galilee. He comes back. Then he went up to a mountainside and sat down. I love this. Pay attention to this. Great ca- crowds came to him, bringing the lame the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. We can't know for sure, but what happens in between these stories? There's only one good idea, right? the demon-possessed man who was now the blessed man who had encountered Jesus did exactly what Jesus had told him to do. He said, look, I had thousands of demons in me. I was a cutter. I was living amongst the tombs. But I, for whatever reason, one day saw Jesus getting off the boat. I went up to him and he changed my life. Like, hey, I used to like break chains off my body. I would hurt people if they were around me. I couldn't be with people. I wandered around naked for years. And then I met Jesus. He's incredible. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows back up on a boat. You got a son who's blind. What are you going to do? Maybe he needs to encounter Jesus. And so they bring the blind and they bring the mute and they bring the crippled and they're like, if Jesus could change this man who was possessed into the blessed, then what can he do for us? The hurting and the broken and they come and they encounter Jesus and let me read it again. They praised the God of Israel. These are not Jewish people. These are Gentile, non-God-fearing people who are coming to Jesus and becoming followers of Jesus. Perhaps because one man was willing to say, I encountered Jesus, you should encounter him too. That's incredible. Jesus can turn the possessed into the blessed, but they have to have an opportunity They have to have an opportunity to know about Jesus, to hear about Jesus, to encounter Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're listening online and you're not a Christian, then I would just just say 
that no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you are from Jesus, no matter how many sins you've committed, no matter how many regrets you have, no matter how evil you have been in your life, you are not you are not too far gone. No matter how much you think you live amongst the tombs and you're like, those Christian people, they're nothing like me. We have nothing in common. It doesn't matter. The Jewish people that Jesus was hanging out with had nothing in common with these men who were hanging out in the tombs. And yet Jesus turned the possessed into the blessed. And you this morning perhaps are encountering Jesus in your soul and you can give your life to him and you will experience joy like this man did. You are not too far gone. But for those of us that are Christians, we have an obligation. We've encountered Jesus. And we have an obligation not to be pastors, not to be one of the 12 disciples, but to do what Jesus told this man to do. To go home to our own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for us and how he has had mercy on us. It's our job. Every one of us. You don't have to be in the ministry. You don't have to serve at a church. It's your job to tell people about your encounter with Jesus. My other friend Jake, I've told you this story, another high school teammate, the second story that I mentioned earlier. Jake is, uh, he was, he works for T-Mobile as a leadership coach now, but out of high school he, he started rapping and um, uh, he's pretty decent at rapping. Oregon Homeboy, it's a great song. If you want to listen to a rap, you got YouTube videos to watch about basketball. And I'm really expanding your upper middle class minds this morning. Um, and and Jake was rapping. And, and I mean, you can imagine the rap culture uh, anywhere. But here in the Northwest is, is also a culture that's filled with lots of drinking and partying. And, and Jake, in his own words, was, uh, you know, drinking too much he needed to have alcohol borderline alcoholic uh far from god not I mean, this is a guy that man if you would ask me like f- all the people jake if you're listening to this i'm sorry but of all the people uh who i played basketball with in high school like who would be near the last or even just went to high school with, who would be near the last that would give their lives to jesus jake would have been on that list he just didn't seem like a church kid And then he's rapping, and then he's partying, and he's drinking too much. And Jake went to his brother's bachelor party. (laughs) And his brother is a Christian, and his brother said, Hey, tomorrow morning you spend the night at my place, and we're going to go to church in the morning. And, And Jake did, and he knew the story of Jesus long before that. But on that morning, he encountered Jesus. Encountered Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus, and it has radically changed him radically changed him because Jesus an encounter with Jesus can turn the blessed into the possessed into were you listening I hope you were listening the possessed into the blessed so here's what I want for you today um Right now, our ushers, uh, and they I don't know if they know this is coming, but uh, there are cards, and we're going to hand these cards out to you. And if, if you're a Christian, the purpose of these cards, here they go. Uh, they're not moving extremely fast. We don't have the fastest elder, or ushers, um, or elders for that matter. Um, we're going to give you a card, and, and here's what we want. We did something similar last year. Where, where we said, hey, who, who are you willing to pray for leading up to Easter? 
that they would give their lives to Jesus. But this year is going to be slightly different because I want you to think of some people that you're closely connected to that you think there is no way, there is no way if I talk to them about Jesus, they'll be open to listening and there is no way if I invite them to our Easter service that they will come. Because here's the deal. Church is a place where people encounter Jesus. The Bible tells us that, that when we gather together as a church, that God's presence is uniquely with us. That's why you feel guilty about certain sins when you're here that you don't feel guilty about on Monday. Do you know that feeling? Like you're singing and, and you think, man, I should have prayed more this week and I can't believe I treated my spouse that way and I shouldn't have done that thing at work. In some ways, that's because Jesus is here in a unique way. But also, Jesus tells us in the Bible that, that the church is his body here on earth. That when a person comes to a church, they should in some ways experience what Jesus is like. And I hope that that is happening at our church. We're working on being a church like that for sure. And so I want you, during this next song that we're going to sing, to sit before Jesus and think, who, if I tell them about Jesus or I invite them to come to Easter, would not possibly come they just wouldn't there's no way i want you to write their names on there and then i want you to begin you can write other people too that you know you think might come whatever but but think of the people who would never because those are the people that need to be here on easter they need to encounter Jesus because Jesus can turn even the possessed into the blessed. He can turn your friend, your dad, your mom, your sister, your brother, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, your coworker. He can turn them into the blessed. But it's our job as Christians to do our best to open up an opportunity to say, look, I encountered Jesus. It changed my life. Will you just maybe come and see if you encounter Jesus too? It's our job. Let me pray that God will reveal those names to you. Lord, I thank you that I've, I've never been too far gone to have a relationship with you, Lord. And I know, I mean, just I'm so thankful for the work and the impact that you're now having through Grayson and Jake, Lord. Um, all because they encountered you, one at a funeral, God, literally amongst, uh, amongst the dead, God. And one, Lord... Um, after a bachelor party, it's, it's incredible to see the work you've done in their lives. I thank you for them. They're encouraging to me. They're inspiring to me, God. Uh, and the ministry they're doing in their own roles is just awesome. And I want to see that, God, around me all the time. I want to see that through our church. I want to see people experience you here, give their lives to you, God, get baptized, and then be impactors of the world themselves as they say, look, I had an encounter with Jesus, and you should have one too. I pray, God, for the people who sit in front of me right now that, that love you, they've encountered you, they're Christians. And I pray, God, that they would, they would never think that person will not give their life to Jesus. That person can't become a Christian, God, because, I mean, man, there's so many examples of people, Lord, like the Apostle Paul, who, who would never have become a Christian if never was a possibility. Uh, but you, God, do miracles and encounter with you challenges even the strongest held beliefs it challenges even god the demons in people's closets and so i pray that we would 
we would not be in the business of deciding who might give their lives to you. I pray that you would reveal to us, Lord, who we should tell about you, but also, God, you would reveal to us who we should invite to be here this coming Easter, Lord. You know that in our heads, my head, Lord, I have uh, a desire for how many people would be here, God, but that desire is unimportant. What is really important is that we do the work you've called us to, and we invite people to encounter you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would use this next period in our church where we are just so focused on what it means to meet you and to know you and to be in a relationship with you and, and you'd use it to bring people into a relationship with you, to bring people to salvation, Lord. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for, for never looking at people and saying, oh, you're, you're too possessed, you're too messed up, you're, you're too far gone but instead you always look at people and say, I died for you too, and I want you to be in my family. Thank you for that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.